Romans 16. Uh, I realize this morning is Easter, and uh, we celebrate the resurrection every day, so we don't need a date on the calendar to do that. And but we do want to stop and pause and uh, say, uh, uh, you know, look at look at look at that. So um, we'll carry on this morning as we normally do. Romans 16. We're down here now in our study of Romans at the end of the chapter, and uh, we're gonna verse 21 to 24 here, and then we'll look a little bit at verse 25 um, as we come to the end here. Again, Paul has, in the first 16 verses, he said a personal hello to those 27 individuals listed, to the three churches that are there at Rome, to the, to the couple households and different groups that were there. And he uh, uses Aquila and Priscilla as that personification of the, uh, the doctrine working and then also then the character uh, of the other 25 listed, if you will. Uh, we, we see Phoebe in verse 1, and then we see Aquila and Priscilla. And then when you look at the rest of those names, there's not a lot mentioned about them in Scripture. And we understand how their faithfulness, their loyalty to Paul and to the sound doctrine because of the example of Aquila and Priscilla. Then we saw in verse 17, 18, 19, and 20, the warning. The first time Paul in his epistles brings up Satan and the adversary and his plan of attack, and the use there of good words and fair speeches there in verse 18, and how the adversary is attacking today and working. And so we went across and we went through Paul's epistles, and we noticed there that the adversary is not attacking the way he did in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the, the, the demon possession and the, the, the supernatural events because God's not doing that today. And, and the, the demon possession and, the, the, and all of that has to do with the fact that Satan knew that God needed Israel to be, his, to be his people so he could take that land and establish the kingdom and so forth. So the adversary knows if I can corrupt them, then he can't use them to do what his... So he uh, would then uh, possess them. And uh, that guy, the Legion guy, you know, the maniac from Gadara and all that. And the reason is that they ran out of bodies to inhabit. And so you have all that. Well, today he's not doing that because God's not doing that. God's working in the inner man, the spiritual realm. So what, in, in our thinking, so the adversary, so we have this attack coming that's designed to pull us away from the doctrines, those foundational doctrines of Romans, Romans 1 to 5, the issue of our justification. By the way, good words and fair speeches would say what? Well, you have to work to get saved. And then they dress that up. Okay. Then in chapter 6, 7, and 8, we learned about our sanctification, our walk, our identity in Christ. And you know what the good word and fair speeches say there? you got to work to prove that you are saved. And to stay saved. So we've got works for and they dress that up. Then in chapters 9, 10, and 11, the dispensational setting of the nation of Israel today. But yet, what do good words and fair speeches say about that? Well, you are spiritual Israel. You're replacement Israel. You're the new Israel. And so they dress all that up. 
And then in chapters 12 to 16, that grace application, there's the working to stay saved issue. And that's what they would say. And Paul lays all that out. Now in verse 21, Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and, and Sopater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. And Cordus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to establish you. Now notice verse 24. That's the second time he's tried to end the book with an amen. He did it at the end of chapter 15. Couldn't quite contain himself. Said hello to folks. By the way, Paul has never been to Rome. He knows these folks by uh, not email or text messaging, by mail and correspondence and so forth. And now the guys that are with Paul at Corinth are going to say hello to the folks at Rome. And that's literally what he's going to do here. And now Paul traveled with a group of people all you know most of the time. And that's who we're beginning to see here. You see Timothy, uh, my work fellow. It's an interesting thing when you think about Timothy. By the way, we're not going to blitz through these guys. Read them and move on. Because in verse 25, 26, 27, that rich doctrinal issue here where Paul is going to really release the Roman believers, release you and I then, to further edification and growth. And if we have the time, we'll get into that here a little bit this morning. But what I want to do is just, Timothy, my work fellow, my work, he's, working, he's been with Paul since the early days. If you come over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and just to see, see the issue here, 1 Timothy 1, verse 2, uh, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my son, in the faith. Again, my own son, sorry, in the faith. 1 Timothy 1, verse 2. T my own son in the faith. Timothy joins Paul in, in the early days uh, of, of Paul's ministry. Uh, we see him join in Acts 16. Obviously, Paul... He'll say there, uh, if you come over to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, one of the great love letters between Paul and Timothy here, as Timothy is experiencing uh, great apostasy at the church there at Ephesus, which is where he's at. Verse 2, he'll say to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, see, then he says there in verse 4, Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And you have this tenderness here where Paul has taken Timothy under his wing at a young age and has developed and has worked with him and so forth. So much so that he calls him my son, my work fellow, my co-laborer. Come over to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. So much so that Timothy is a, dear, is a beloved one. I, Paul just, he always was very concerned with Timothy. Timothy was very timid. He was the opposite of Titus. 
Remember in Galatians 2, Titus says, you ain't touching me with that thing. <laughs> you know, wouldn't be compelled to be circumcised. And he was, boom, and it's Titus that he says, hey, you know, calm down, Titus. You've got to give them two or three admonitions before you just reject them, you know. Titus was the boom, 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 the heavy hitter. Timothy was a little more timid and reserved. But yet they had such a relationship, Philippians 2 here and verse 19, where Paul would say, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, but ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. It's interesting. Timothy had such a high standing in Paul's mind that, when back here in Romans 16, the first guy to say, hey, say hello to him was Timothy. Why? Because he's naturally going to care for him the way that Paul would. And the folks there at Philippi, when Timothy is get, gets there, he, there's a natural care there where Timothy would come in and take care of him. And then when you go back to 16, he says, then uh, Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Lucius is an interesting guy. Come over to Acts chapter 13. You begin to see these guys. By the way, I know the map is up there, and there's a reason for it, and we're going to get to that. But when you see these guys, Paul writes Romans at Corinth. And all of a sudden, he's mentioning guys that are with him and travel with him. You see Lucius, Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. You see, Lucius, he's a, he's a noted man at the church there at Antioch. Antioch is the base in which the, the apostle was, was moving out, working out of. That's what started the, 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 his apostolic journeys, was at, out of Antioch. It's at Antioch that they're first called Christians. It's the home base, if you will, as he's moving forward. And Lucius is, is, a, key, is a key man there. Whether, now, in Romans, he's with him in Corinth. But yet here, he's, he's one of those guys that helps get Paul going, get Paul and Barnabas out there. Uh, actually, it's Saul here, verse 9 then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him, and off they went. So now from here on, he's Paul the Apostle, but he knew Saul, he knew him at this moment. Paul, Paul is, it's an interesting, uh, come over to chapter 17. The next name is Jason, and we see Jason here in chapter 17. Paul did ministry like he set the pattern, where when the money runs out, we're done doing. So if you want the ministry to get keep going, then there's going to be a funding supply there that needs to be there. And apparently, according to the, the handbooks, if you will, Lucius was a wealthy man. So he would have been a key component, a key figure in the, in the giving, in the, in, the, 
in the financial backing of the early days of Paul as he goes. Now, again, as he gets labeled as a Paul follower, uh, some of that doesn't, he, he loses some of that because of the attack against those who have associated themselves with the Apostle Paul. And we see that here with Jason in Acts 17. Verse 1, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. And what does Paul do? As his manner is, he goes into the synagogue and stirs it all up. Verse 5, But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took on them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren into the rule, uh, unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and they do, uh, I'm sorry, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and of others, they let them go. So these guys, the lewd men of the baser swords, we got the mob hit out on them. That didn't work, so they go get the city government after them. And what the government did is they lock them up. Jason makes bail, and they that's the security of Jason there. He made bail, and he's let loose. But Jason is in trouble because he's associated with who? The Apostle Paul. Okay? In 2 Timothy 1... He says, be not ashamed of the testimony of our Savior, of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be a partaker of the affliction. And that's what Jason is. And Jason doesn't back down. Evidently, he's there at Thessalonica. He's going to be Jason of Thessalonica. He doesn't back down. He moves along. He's right there with Paul. Why? They understood it. They know what's going on. They believe the doctrine. They've got edified, they've got the foundation in, and they're working, and they're with Paul at Corinth when he's writing the book of Romans, and you know what he, hey, let's say hello. Let's say hello to these folks, because what do they know? What's coming? That warning in, chapter, in verse 17, 18, 19, and 20, the attack is going to come on the, Rome, the churches at Rome there, and they need the support of everybody, you know? And whenever you get attacked or whenever you have persecution, it's always nice to hear from somebody of a, hey, I'm praying for you. I was thinking about you, you know. Keep it, you're an encouragement. And that's what these guys are doing. Because of that warning in Romans 16 there that Paul just, went, we just went through, they need the encouragement. They need the, not, not a pat on the back, but a, a bolster and say, hey, we're with you. If you come over to chapter 20 of Acts, you see, so, so Peter, okay, Acts 20. Uh, by the way, Acts 20 is where Paul writes Romans in the first three verses here. We'll look at that in just a minute. Verse 4, And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Ar Ar and, um, Aristarchus, and that name always flips me. They all flip me. But Gaius of Derby and Timotheus of Asia, and Tychicus, and Trophimus. Trophimus, these, these going before tarried for us at Troas. So you see all the, but there's, so Peter, he's of who? He's of Berea. Now, do we know about Berea? 
Yeah, they search the scriptures daily, see? So these guys are, the, the, and by the way, in Romans he says, my kinsman. Well, that would mean he's of a Jewish heritage, okay? He doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean he's of the little flock, but he's of what? He's a Jew who has what? Come in, works with Paul. Now, if he's a little member of the little flock, by the way, we don't know, because when Paul talks about the little flock, like in Romans 16 there, he says, in Christ before me, there's a little flock. Remember, we talked about the, every Jew's not a member of the little flock. Okay? So when he says, my kinsman, I take it personal, my own personal opinion and view, is that he's just of a Jewish descendant. He heard Paul in the synagogue, believed the go Paul's gospel, and is a member of the church, the body of Christ. Because the church, the body of Christ, is made up of a Jew and a Gentile. Jew and Gentile. Okay, so when you so these guys are actively involved, they're around Paul. Now come back to six, Romans sixteen, verse twenty-two. I Tertius, uh, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Now he Tertius. By the way, you start doing the. I called him Turtle one time, you know, Tert Tertius. You start doing the name, look into it, and some say that this is Silas because of the Greek and the Latin and all this stuff. I don't know. You know, you get into a lot of he said, she said stuff and some of that. But what does he say? He says, I who wrote this epistle salute you in the Lord. Now, he's not the writer as in the author. He is the scribe. He's the secretary. Uh, it, the 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 Latin the the term is is you you man you insis yeah it's something like that there's a big fan, a, I have it written down you man uh, a man you insis um, a m a n u e n s i s <laughs> and basically that's a fancy name for someone who's hired to take the dictation. A scribe, a secretary, okay? A court reporter is the idea, okay? So Paul is going to dictate the book to him, and he's going to write it down. And then everybody, now we're going to come back to this guy here in just a minute, and we'll, we'll look at this. Uh, he's employed to write down what's dictated. And what usually happens then is everybody goes and pitches a fit about all that, you know, and oh, Paul didn't write the book, blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, he did. Okay, and that's what the map's up for, and we're going to come back to that in just a minute. I want to finish these names. Verse 23, Gaius mine host, and of the whole church saluteth you. Now, Gaius, my host, that's where Paul was staying at Corinth. If you come back to Acts 19, Acts 19, because there's some travel here that Paul is going to do. Acts 19, and that's why the map on the overhead, if you have a map in the back of your Bible, you can see this as well. Verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, and he goes, he goes to work. Okay, verse 8, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months. So Paul's doing the work of the ministry. Verse 11, we have special miracles wrought by the hands of Paul. 
verse 23, we have the uproar there about in Ephesus of the great Diana, the goddess and all that, and the silversmith, and the guys are having a cow again. Verse 29, And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, the men of Macedonia. Now, if you look on there, you see the Macedonia is in that upper quadrant above. So you've got the territory. But if you look across the way by Asia there, you've got Ephesus across the Aegean Sea. So, you've, so Paul's in Ephesus. Gaius and Aristarchus are with Paul at Ephesus because they're of what? Of Macedonia. You see that on there? Okay. Uh, by the way, verse 29, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. So what is Gaius and these guys experiencing? Happy times, easy travels? Not at all. They're, they're understanding 2 Corinthians 1 when he says, I, you, you need to un- I don't want you to be ignorant about this. We were nigh unto death here. This isn't just, you know, the work of the ministry isn't just easy peasy, you know, and, and so forth. Look over at chapter 20. By the way, yeah, chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him, the disciples embraced them, and departed for to go into Macedonia. So what are they going to do? They're going to hop the cruise ship across the sea. They're coming over there. They're going to get to Macedonia, verse 4. And what do we see there? And Gaius of Derby, There he is. Okay? Goes across the sea. Now, if you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in Romans 16, Paul calls him mine host. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 14, Paul makes a startling statement here. I thank God that I baptize none of you but Crispus and Gaius at Corinth there. But notice he's with Paul. He's Paul's host. So when you come back to Romans 16, uh, by the way, that verse in 1 Corinthians 1 there is fascinating on Paul's attitude of water baptism. We weren't keeping stats, (laughs) you know. By the way, did he, had he baptized more people than Crispus and Gaius? Yes. In the record in Acts, he has. But it's of none important. Why? Well, verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And you know in Acts' record, from Acts 9, 20 on, he does not baptize another person in the record in Luke, that Luke writes in Acts. Why? Because God talked to him and said, No more. That provoking ministry aspect is done. You don't need that anymore. Let's move on. It's very interesting. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Gaius apparently had a, had a heart for hospitality. When Paul would come into Corinth, and, and he would travel through that t- territory quite a bit, he had a, he had a guest room, Gaius' house, and he had a place to stay. But then notice it says the whole church and of the whole church. Not only did Paul have it, but anybody coming through that needed a place to stay, guess what they had? They had a room to stay in. They didn't have, he embraced the whole church. So those at Corinth, and by the way, Corinth is a wealthy territory. Uh, the ports, Censorea and, and uh, uh, 
Achaia and all that, up and down that coastline, wealthy area. And they, but if you came through, guess what you had? You had a place to stay. So when you come back to 1623, Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Everybody there at Corinth says hello to Rome. Why? Because the adversary's coming, and you guys need to stay founded and grounded and rooted, and you need to buckle up because here it comes. Then he says, Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. Obviously, the city would be Corinth. Then it's a chamberlain. What's that? <laughs> and so you go look at, you know, you run the king's chamberlain back in Jeremiah. Well, that's the guy over the bedchamber of the king. But the cha- Erastus here, he's like the city treasurer. He's head over the, the, the coffers. Okay, and he shows up. Come back to Acts 19. Acts 19. So Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. He, so this man is not, th- these are well-known people. People know these guys. We have a state treasurer, right? Yeah, that's, that would be Erastus. He's over the state money. He's over how things are being done. He's over the revenue department. I remember we had a governor. I won't say her name. Uh, <laughs> long time ago. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, she let three-quarters of the revenue department go. And I'm like, why in the world would you do that? Because that's where you're going to get the money to fund everything else is make sure everybody's on board. And the three-quarters, half of the three-quarters was over the business and, the, and the, the business sales tax stuff. Like, well, no wonder nobody pays their sales tax. You let the, the auditors go, you know? No wonder. Anyway, that's Erastus. Acts 19, look at verse 22. Verse 21, and these things were, after these things were ended, Paul supposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Again, that's his mode. That's his goal. Romans 15, I'm going to Spain. But before I go to Spain, I'm going to take the gift, the collection, the fruit to Jerusalem. Then I'm going to come to Rome, and then I'm going to go to Spain. And when we looked at that, when he says, pray for me, that I'll be delivered from the unbelieving in Judea, they'll accept the gift, and then I get to you. He prayed for it. God answered his prayer, just not the way he thought it was going to be answered. Instead of going leisurely, he goes in stocks and bonds now chained to the centurion, the the Roman guard. Verse 22, So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. Isn't that interesting? Ministered unto him, who? Timotheus and Erastus. So they're key people here. Come over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Another with Erastus. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. We're at the end of Paul's days. He says in verse 19, Salute Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. (laughs) 
At the end of Paul's days, who's on his mind? These folks are. Erastus, Priscilla and Aquila, Trophimus. By the way, notice how he left them at Miletum sick. So evidently the, the healing is, is done. That, that healing, provoking healing thing is, is done. He can't heal Trophimus. It's done. Then he says to Timothy, do thy diligence to come before winter. And then he lists off another four or five names for you. Come back to chapter 16, verse 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Oh, by the way, Cordus, a brother, not much mentioned about him, but he's one of the traveling companions. He did make the scriptures. <laughs> And that's what's fascinating to me is all these folks are listed in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit didn't leave them out, didn't say cancel them, don't take off those. He's Boom, there they are. Why? Because of their faithfulness, because of their loyalty. Now, if you let your eye draw back up to verse 22 with Tertius and Paul and writing there, we know that every epistle of Paul starts with his name. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. First word, Paul. I start Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul. And you go every epistle. By the way, ep the epistle, the manner in which the epistle is, it's a form of writing. And it's a, it's a treatise from a teacher to a student, okay? With the design of it to be studied, written on, torn apart, investigated, got down into, Okay? So it's doctrinal, the Hebrew epistles. Hebrews, what's the first word? God. God wrote it. We don't know the human author. Why? God wrote that one. Okay? James. First, James. <laughs> okay? And off you go. And what you, what you find out in the beginning of the epistle is you find out the, the who wrote it by whose authority was it written, and then you have an introduction to it of here's what we're going to be talking about. That's why in verse 11, for I long, Romans 1.11, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, what is it to be established? That we I might be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. That's why when we get down in verse 25, he says, Now to the power of him that was able to establish you, my goal is to get you established, E, established, set up, get the forms laid, get the concrete poured, get it all smoothed out for you, that over here at the end you're able to stand now, you're able to have some stability. That's the goal. Then, so then in verse 13, 14 and following, what does he begin to do? He begins to lay in all of that detail. So he says, here's what we're going to do. Here's who's the writer, here's what we're going to do, here's the goal, here's the body of it, and now we're in the conclusion. Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. No, that's not the passage. How about 1 Corinthians 16? 
<laughs> That'd be a little better. 1 Corinthians 16. And verse 21. The salutation of me, Paul, with my own hand. Again, he's writing it. We come across to Galatians 6. This one is fascinating to me. Verse 11. Galatians 6.11. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand. And I think about that. If Galatians is the first book you wrote, and that could be, or, or, or Thessalonians, he's writing it in the early days, and he's writing in a large hand. Now, a lot of people speculate that was a physical infirmity, couldn't see very well because it's in Galatians and everything. No matter what it is, shortly thereafter, who did he hire? <laughs> he, hi he hired him a scribe. Turtus, get over here, you're with me. Now, he was with him, <laughs> And off he goes. Come over to uh, Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 18. Colossians 4, 18. The salu salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. Obviously, the hands of me, Paul. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 17. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now again, if Thessalonians was first, what did he do shortly thereafter? Hired, hired a scribe. And a, and a humanuensis. <laughs> okay? Why? Because he needed to, obviously, by the way, Galatians is six chapters. His biggest book is 1 Corinthians at 16 chapters. Large a letter. I always think about large letters and capitalization. He's yelling at them for mixing law and grace, you know. So that's where we're at. Now, if you think about this, if you look at 2 Thessalonians 2, so when Paul uses Turtus, and Turtus says, I wrote the letter, dictated it to me, I wrote it down. But look at 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, now watch, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by what? Letter as from us. Okay? As at the day of Christ is at hand. And everybody focuses on the end of that verse and they miss the beginning, the, 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 the beginning and the middle of that verse. What has got them shook up? They've got a word or a what? A letter that has been signed by Paul, supposedly, that says that. The day of the Lord is really the day of Christ. And Paul's going to say, no, it's not. Day of Christ is ours. Day of the Lord is the prophetic program. Because everything that he lists now from 3 to 12 describes the Antichrist and the day of the Lord. But see, everybody focuses in on well, you know, that, and what they're missing is how did they, how, what shook them up? Neither by spirit, 
nor by word, nor by letter. The spirit of the letter was one of... of have, have you ever got an email from somebody and you read it? And you read it as if they were angry with you, and then when you talked to them, they weren't. They were never, you know, but the way you read it, you read a spirit into it, the, the, ad, the atmosphere around it. Or if you... I usually do this. I read it and go, oh, wow, look at that. And then I talk to them and they're mad at me. <laughs> I go, whoa, okay, I'll go read that in a different light, <laughs> you know, see. But that's what, but, but again, some have been signing Paul's name to letters. See? And Paul says, no, it's not me. This is where we're at. Those letters, by the way, good words and fair speeches, they were used to do what to the Thessalonian believers? Shake them up. Shook them up. They got them off thinking wrong. So when you come back now to Romans 16, in verse 22, where they're at, they're at Rome. I'm sorry, Paul's going to dictate to Tertius. He's going to write it down. And they're at Corinth. And this is where Monday night we had a question about Phoebe and how do we know Phoebe brought the book and so forth. And if you look back at that in Romans 15, and just kind of think this through here where we're at. They are at Corinth. This is Acts 20, the verses 1 to 3, 1 to 4 there, okay? Look at verse 25. But now I go to, unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. See that now I go? He's been at Rome. I'm sorry, he's been at Corinth. He's ready to go to Jerusalem. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia. Again, do you notice where that is at on the map? This is the Corinth area. This is Greece. To make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When, therefore, I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, when I've gone to Jerusalem, I will come by you into Spain. So he says, listen, we're at Corinth. Everybody says hello. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, drop off the collection, I'm going to get in a Viking cruise ship, and we're going to go right on over here to Rome, stop, see you guys, and then I'm going to pick that boat up and go on over to Spain. Okay? So he's literally laid out the scenario of his route. Now, come back to Acts 19. Acts 19, and again they're at verse 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. He's going to begin the journey to, what did he say in Romans 15? <laughs> when I get, I got to go to Jerusalem, do this, then I'm coming to you at Rome, then I'm going to Jerusalem. Now look at chapter 20, verse 1. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. Okay? And when he had gone over these parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. 
So he came up, went across Macedonia, comes down into Greece, and there abode, uh, verse 3, and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia, and there accompanied him into Asia. Sophia, and, and you got those guys, okay? So he leaves Ephesus, goes into Greece. How long is he in Greece? Three months. In those three months, he writes the book of Romans and the book of 2 Corinthians, that we have 2 Corinthians, okay? Paul has written the Corinthian believer, the Corinthian church, at least four times. Two of them are scripture. Two of them aren't. There's a fifth one maybe, depends on how you want to look at a couple verses, and that's okay, all right? To say he, wrote five, he writes to them all the time. You could say he wrote to them a lot. Why? They're the babes, they're the carnal, they need the help, Okay? My point is, is how long was he at Corinth? Three months. He gets the information, and he gives it, and, he, and, and causes it to all be written down. Now, come back to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. By the way, 1 Corinthians is written uh, in Acts 19, time period, when, when he's there at Ephesus, and he sends it across the water. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16 if you look there, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia. By the way, that's not on the map, but you see the Asia. If you come this side, that's Galatia, that whole territory. Even so do ye, verse 3, And when I come, whosoever you shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Now I will come into, uh, unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. What is Paul, Paul telling the Corinthians, Acts 19? I'm coming to you. Get the collection together, because when I get there, I don't want there to be a delay, because if it needs be that I go, I'll go and take it with you. You send your, let, your company with, and we'll go. But in Acts 20, what happened when he got there? There was an uproar of the Jews, and he had to leave, see? So he got his, his travel itinerary got dictated to him by the Jews laying in wait. So now Paul's going to Jerusalem. By the way, verse 8, but I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. <laughs> That's Acts 19, by the way, because in 20, he's in Corinth, and who's after the Jews are there. So it's obvious that he writes the book in Romans somewhere in that three-month period. He goes to get the collection, and he's gonna, he says he's been through Macedonia and Achaia, so he's been through that territory, okay? And he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's got the offering in his hand, and he's going to go. Now, if you look at Romans 16, verse 1, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Censorea. Now, I don't know if Censorea is on that map. I thought it was. I, okay, do you see? That is a eastern harbor of the city of Corinth. All right? Athens is a, is a little further east of that. But you see Censorea? So she's at Corinth. He's at Gaius' home. He's my host. Phoebe is there as well. Now, she's a businesswoman. I... I, I, I I love the way Scripture just scolds 
the paints a different picture on, on how people think about uh, how Scripture depicts women. Who is she? She's, she's a businesswoman. She's, verse 2, assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of. So if you think about this, she's there, he's there, he's dictating to Tertius, his scribe, and then Phoebe is sitting there with him, because, again, she's in Caesarea, she's right there. And he says, take the book, and hands her the book of Romans. You're going to Rome, right? Yeah, I've got, I got business trip to Rome. Then take the book, the confidence. That's that thing in Philippians uh, 2. I did a message years ago on the women of, that worked with Paul. Philippians 4 there, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel with Clement who uh, also and with other my fellow labor, who labored with me in the gospel. What the women, they didn't teach. Again, when we looked at Aquila and Priscilla, I told you whenever there was teaching, Aquila is mentioned first. But when it comes to the suker, the help, Priscilla's mentioned first. Why? Well, the ladies have a little softer hand than the man does sometimes with things. By the way, when they packed up to go leave, you know, I can just see it because it's in my house. You didn't pack enough. Yeah, yeah, get this, get this, you know. And not nagging, just, you know, making sure everything's done, okay? But see, the thing is, is what does he say? Help her out, guys. Phoebe, he, she's headed to Rome on business, hands her the book. Okay? So when you come back into Romans 16 here, he writes the book at Corinth in those three-month period there in Acts 20. He also writes 2 Corinthians, and when we study 2 Corinthians, I'll show you that. We'll get into all that because of, of some of the internal evidence that he says. Because they argue with him, you, you know, you said you were going to do this and you didn't do it. And he said, but I did do it. My yay is a yay and my nay is a nay, <laughs> and, and not vice versa. So he says all that, verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Then verse 25, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And now Paul is going to end the book with this release of the believer commendation, commending the believer to some further edification that's coming. You've been edified. You've got the foundation set, 16 chapters of it, four pillars, four concrete slabs stuck together. You got it there. Now I'm going to commit, and there's some powerful information here, and I just want to catch maybe a word for the next little bit we got left and then we'll get into it next week okay because what's happening with the list of the names and the and the and the hellos and everything again that adversarial attack is coming and Paul is confident in the doctrines of grace the doctrines learned if you look there at verse 17 
uh, the end of that verse, which ye have learned, and avoid the learned. It's all been revealed, but what do you got to do? You got to learn it. See, it's one thing to argue about something obscure, Gaius and all those guys, but it's a different thing to argue about your justification. You got to learn that. And Paul is confident to release the Roman believer, to release you and I, to further growth and development. He's talked about the, according to my gospel. But you know what? He's never talked about in the book of Romans the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. That's going to come in the book of Ephesians. So he says, look guys, you're settled in this, in this level, my gospel, but there's some information that's coming over here that when you got to get that too. And I'm confident that because I've already laid the four sections here, the, the foundational doctrines, th that doctrinal foundation, it's intended to provide that fixed, it's interesting, laying concrete. When the guys did my extended driveway and back, I watched them. And I questioned them. And the, I think the guy thought I was nitpicking. I told him, I said, I'm not nitpicking. I'm just trying to understand because I usually show up and the concrete's done. <laughs> you know? And then the house is done. So he was talking to me. He was you know, doing, explaining to me what they were doing and everything. And he laid the forms in. And then they pour in. And then you can't walk on it. can't write your name in it. can't do this. Well, we did. But, you know, you're not supposed to. Okay? And you do all that. Why? Because it becomes fixed. It becomes solid. And they run that little groove down the middle so it can do what? Expand and contract and, and work with the weather and everything. And Paul says, look, guys, I've provided that fixed, solid foundation where the believer now is rooted and grounded and established. And now you're able to grow some more spiritually. Because what do we do? We come in now and we're gonna, we put the house on top of that foundation. And those four corners that issues, again, 1 to 5 and 6 to 8 and 9 to 11 and 12, those, those corner foundation, all set. It's all been poured. It's all been cured. Now it's time to advance in doctrinal understanding. Now it's time. You shouldn't have to... Look over with me at Philippians. There's a little verse, chapter 3. Little verses tucked into this stuff in, in, in Paul's epistles. Philippians 3. We're not going to get anywhere near where I want to go, but we'll get there. 3.15. Philippians 3. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. And again, that's an issue of maturity. Okay? Not perfect, you never sin, but perfect in maturity. 2 Timothy 3.17. That the man of God may be perfect. Well, what is that? That is truly furnished unto all good work. Be what? Thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, well, what would that be? You're not perfect there. You don't have maturity in that area. God shall reveal even this unto you. How does he do that? Through his word, study of his word. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained. So what have we already attained? The doctrines of Romans. The foundation is laid. We're there. Let us mind, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. 
So in other words, we got to the end of Romans 16 here. We're going to talk of verse 25 to 27. Tremendous doctrine here. But Paul's like, that's not all. I got more. There's more coming. So when you come back to Romans 15, 16, well, actually, verse 15, in chapter 15, verse 29, he says, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Paul knows that when I come to see you guys, I'm coming with more information. You've got the doctrine. You've got the grounding. It's all been poured. Now it's time to advance in doctrinal understanding. In verse 25, 16-25, Now to him that is of power to establish you. Him. Obviously, we're talking about God. Okay? Is God powerful? Well, yeah. He's God. He spoke to creation in. You guys were out there looking at that big black bird. Well, God created that dude, you know. <laughs> it's what happens. He's, but Paul's not talking about power in that way. The power here is specific to the believer's spiritual edification. It's going to have to be his power that accomplishes what he's seeking to accomplish in the life of the believer. When we come over to Acts 20, when we were in Romans there, uh, chapter 14, when I said, let, when we looked at that issue of let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind, you need Acts 20, 32. I can't cause you to grow. You have to be what? Fully persuaded where? In your own mind. The person that's going to rescue you is you. Can't be me. I can put, keep it in front of you. I can remind you. But I can't make you. See, who can make us? God does. It's, it's his power. Here's the idea, Acts 20, verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God. Here's what Paul's doing. I commend you. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. That's the power. You don't need anyone else. You don't need, he's going to release the Romans, you and I today, to personal growth and edification. He's going to commend you to God. Back in Romans 16 now. You don't need anyone else. Now it's time to build you up, to move you forward in growth and edification. You have all of the, the, the equipping. That's what Romans is, is equips you. What? You know your justification is sure and sound and solid. You know your identity, who you are in Christ, sure, sound. You know you're not Israel, you're the body. He's doing something in the heavenly places now. You know that. Now here's how I'm going to apply it. Here's, the, here's my interaction with the world around me, believer Unbeliever, here's how I'm to do this. I've got that. I don't have to go back on that. I understand how to do it. And if I slip, I got the word. I can go, go back. But the power that Paul's talking about is this power to, to, to Romans 12, 1 you, to transform you, to renew the, the renewing of your mind, the transforming that power isn't external, it's where? Internal. It's the renewing of your mind. You, you follow, look over to Ephesians 3. 
this power is an internal change. It's, the, it's that transforming power of God. And it's put on display in the edification process. Ephesians 3 and verse 16. That He would grant you according to the riches of His grace to be strengthened with might by His Spirit. Where? In the inner man. He's working in you. His power is an inward working. You see, it's not an outward. The outward manifestation of that is you living your life as who you are in Christ where you live. Folks from Wisconsin, they live a little different than we do here in Arizona. In the wintertime, they're putting clothes on. <laughs> so are we, by the way, because it's cold. But not as heavy. My heaviest jacket is probably a summer t-shirt for them. But for me, it's my, you know, what? But they can live as who they are in Christ. In that, I can live as who I am here. By the way, summertime, we don't take all our clothes off, and that's a good thing, okay? We go to the air conditioner, all right? I went to the dermatologist, and she goes, you don't like sunscreen, do you? I said, no, I don't. She goes, you will now. I'm like, okay. I'm like, but what I did 25 years ago is a little late. She goes, I know, but you're going to do it from now on. I'm like, yes, ma'am. Ephesians, look at verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power of that worketh where? In us. God is able to do something exceedingly, abundantly, exceeding, extreme, excessive. A spiritual force that's going to manifest, it's going to highlight the wisdom of God. In Romans 16, we'll get down there. To God only wise, there's a wisdom here that we're putting on display. Not power to transform us into the image of His dear Son, the verse says. Only God can do that. By the way, that transformation into the image of His dear Son, it, it's literally to be able to respond and to think the way He would respond and think about things and react. You know, things happen common to man, but how do you react to it? Be, be angry and what? Sin not. It doesn't say don't be angry. He just says what? How do you react with that anger? See, that's the issue here. That's the transforming into that image of His dear Son. You're to be able to literally respond, react in the same way that our Savior would. Above all that we ask or think. Can you, could, you, could you imagine ever asking God the Father to send His Son to die for me on the cross? You would have never, no one ever thought that. You know what we thought? We can fix it ourselves. We can do it. We can help him. That's the offense of the cross, by the way. You can't do nothing. <laughs> I did it all. That's, that's offensive to man. No wonder they don't like Paul. No wonder they don't like you and I. Because what do we just tell man? Sit down and shut up. There ain't nothing you can do. And what does man want to do? I won't fix it. Above all that we can ask or think. Wow, this is why we need to develop that a faith dependence on what the Word of God teaches us. Verse 18, may be able to comprehend. I love that, comprehend with all saints. 
comprehend. No, intelligent, think about it, transforming of the mind. What is the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height? And to know the love of God, the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. When we depend on and rely on the written word, now what can we do? Now we can, Romans 16, 25, we can be commended to the power that the power of God that's able to what? Stabilize you, establish you. And we're going to be reminded here where that power is manifested, and we need to remember that it's in the inner man. It's that exceeding abundant power that's able to operate above all that we could ever ask or think. And so that we then become become dependent upon the Word and operating that way. That's the faith of the Son of God. What did He do? He operated on complete dependency of the Word of the Father. This is what I'm going to do. The Son says, okay, I believe you. I'm going to do. So then what did, the, what did the Father say? Okay, I believe that what you just did took care of the penalty of sin. Romans 3.25 took care of it. The dependency. But where? In the Word. Because that's the doc, That's where the doctrine sits. The doctrines learn. Okay? 16.25, now to him that is of power to establish you. Well, it's time's up, so we'll get into that. Don't miss the people, though. I did that on purpose. One, it's Easter Sunday, but two, it, well, really Easter has nothing to do with it. Just to see the people saying hello. Why? Because the adversarial attack is coming your way. If, and by the way, it's already been there, but you need to know you're not alone in the fight. And you need the attaboys sometimes, the, the comfort, the succor, the help. But thou also know that you have the power of God working in your life as well. And that's what we're going to get into. And we'll talk about that word establish and uh, work our way slowly but quickly through these verses, okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your Son, for all that you've blessed us, and for all that you've given to us because of Calvary and trusting in that and that alone. In your name we pray.